What is going on, DC? This is Move the District, hosted by yours truly, Mike Yassin. For those of you who don't know me, I'm a physical therapist, and this podcast is dedicated to highlighting members of the Washington, DC health and fitness community and giving you the correct information with no BS to help you live a life that's active, healthy, and fulfilled. All right, welcome back to episode six of Move the District. I'm uh, super pumped for today's episode. Uh, I am with uh, one of my friends here. He is the owner of District Performance in Upper Northwest DC. He coaches travel baseball for the DC Dynasty, native Washingtonian, which is uh, always a rarity here. Uh, And uh, he gets to work with athletes of all ages. Um, And he told me to say this, he has an active intellectual curiosity. So, uh, please welcome to the show, Andrew Whitener. Uh, also, I don't think there's anyone here who actually calls you Andrew. Is there anyone who calls you Andrew these days? Uh, my parents, um, <laughs> my wife from time to time. Uh, and then like, I have some, I have most of like my close friends I've known since like elementary school. Um, yeah. just kind of worked out that way. So every now and then an Andrew pops up, but it's uncommon. Every now and then. All right. Well, Whitey, welcome to the show. Thanks for coming on. Thank you for having me. Yeah, I think uh, for me, you know, I think, I think it's my mom and maybe my girlfriend, Megan. I think, I think they call me Michael. Even Megan will call me Mike most of the time, I think. Uh, but just about that, everyone else is Mike or Yasin. So it's, uh, it's one of those, those rare things where you get the, uh, the full name. Are you Michael when you're in trouble? Uh, yes. That's a parental thing? Yeah. Parental thing, uh, relationship thing. Michael. Um, yeah, Michael usually isn't good. I'm actually Raymond Michael Yassin. Um, oh, yes. middle name guy. Yeah, middle name guy, the third, actually. Whoa, uh, yeah. guy? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, no one calls me. I don't get – actually, that's not true. I feel like, especially in college, once my friends learned that my first name was Ray, I became Ray. So, so actually, there are a lot of people out there – that do refer to me as Ray, um, for those of you listening. Hi, guys. Um, yeah, but for the most part, most part, Mike, but uh, never, never, Raymond never comes out when I'm in trouble. My mom, actually, and you'll appreciate this, uh, being a baseball guy, um, my mom did not want to name me Raymond Michael Yassin III. She wanted to name me, you'll, this is great, Thomas Seaver Yassin. Your mom? My mom, not my dad, my mom. Love it. My Let's mom. Break gender stereotypes. I love it. Women yeah, are sports my, fans too. My mom, b- big Mets fan. Uh, loved Tom Seaver growing up, 69 Mets. And wow. uh, she, she was all about Tom Seaver. And she did not want Raymond Michael Yassin III. And uh, my dad, obviously, being junior, did. So their compromise uh, ended up being I just go by my middle name since there was already Big Ray, my grandfather, Little Ray, my father. And then it was like, well, what am I going to be? Extra small, Ray? I don't think so. So, uh, so yeah. So my mom had, I guess, suggested Thomas Seaver. And wow. uh, that would have been pretty wild. Because, I mean, I turned out to be a pitcher, you know? So yeah. um, I feel like that would have been a pretty cool thing. Seeing the Wait, were you like, lefty? I was a righty. I was a righty. Okay. So, I mean, he was a righty, too. But, uh, but you yeah. You just your left arm. I don't know. Oh, I, I just had a, like a, just a, a thing. Oh, okay. okay. Like a thing on my, my, my arm there. Sorry. Yeah. Not to mislead you. I wish I was a lefty. I don't know. I don't know where I would be if I was a lefty. Um, 
Same yeah. place, just turn the other direction, you know? Probably, yeah, probably just be shifted over here. Um, but yeah, no, I, uh, I, I, I see myself sometimes, uh, I would have been out there wearing like a 41 probably. And uh, for all you baseball fans or non-baseball fans out there, Tom Seaver was a baseball player for the New York Mets back in the uh, 60s, 70s, even the 80s actually. And he wore the number 41. He's a Hall of Famer. Uh, if you don't know about him, look him up. Um, how, many, how many pitchers are in the Hall of Fame? I just looked, I just like asked this trivia question the other day. Wow. I don't, I mean, I, I have no idea how many people are in the Hall of Fame. Um, there's, gotta, there's gotta be more or less than 100. Less than 100. I'm not telling you. You gotta guess. All right. 85. Wow. 83. 83. Yes. <laughs> I like it. I would have thought way more. I would have thought the total number was way higher and there were way more pitchers that i was very surprised by that but, so yeah. that's so out of how many players in the hall of fame i actually don't know that i do know how many are left-handed that, that's what the trivia question was oh how many 17, are left-handed 17 lefties 17 lefty pitchers and position players no no 17 left-handed pitchers out of the 83 pitchers oh okay okay gotcha that, yeah i kind of also thought that would be higher but that, yeah shows what i know who was the most recent lefty that got inducted to the hall of fame Ooh, great question. Is Randy Johnson in yet? Has he been out of the game for long enough? I think he's in. No. Um, let's see. Andy Pettit? He get, no, he's a he's still a steroid guy. He can't get in. Um, uh, Andy Pettit is not in. I would put him in, though. He's in in my Hall of Fame. You put uh, how do you feel about uh, PED users and the Hall of Fame? I think, uh, I think they have a place. I think they have a place. I think they were crucial, especially after watching Long Gone Summer. That was great. Have a I watch think, certainly will. Yeah, I think uh, I think those guys have a place. I think McGuire has a place. I think I think Bonds has a place. I think Sosa has a place. Um, I think they've I think they've paid their dues. Especially, I mean, McGuire has really like come clean and I think kind of atoned for for what he did. And I mean, even back then though, it wasn't it wasn't banned by baseball. I uh, I generally bristle when <clears throat> anyone dictates how I'm allowed to, like, how I'm allowed to think. They're, when anybody legislates how I should be thinking, I generally think give people information and then let them make their own adult decisions. Right. So, you know, I'm not the first to say this, but it's not the hall of nice guys. You no, know, the no, there are some really bad people in there. Of course. So if we're, if <laughs> we're not going to yeah. legislate, like, personality to put it into the hall of fame, I don't really think, like, we should be legislating morality Mm -hmm. And even it, and then if we're going to go and say like, it's a, a rule breaking kind of thing, like it's a performance issue, you know, it's just, it, you don't have to be sophisticated to know that so many people were doing it and baseball looked the other way for so long that in my opinion, their achievements are valid in their era. Yeah. And that's how I think athletes should be evaluated within their era. You can't evaluate Barry Bonds against Babe Ruth because so many things, culturally, so many things. training, exactly. everything was different. Exactly. So put them in and then tell the story. Yeah. You know, say so yeah. Barry Bonds hit this many home runs. Also, he, uh, they did an investigation into Balco Labs, and and he was accused of taking X, Y, and Z. And then you let you know you let you people got, figure it out. You got your exhibits, you know, the Hall of Fame, Dead Ball era, things like that. Why not have like a PED, you know, section? You know, like that's that's I think that's totally fine. I think those guys have uh, paid their uh, paid their dues, and they've suffered enough. And uh, yeah, I think I think it's time to to let them in. And I mean, they, they did so much for the game of baseball, especially those guys, McGuire and Sosa back in 98. Like, you know, I think they, 
they deserve to be in, especially after you know coming back from the strike in '94. I think it makes, I think it makes sense. To be clear, I I'm, I don't want to glorify any of that. Like a lot of those guys, no. No. it was after the point where Major League Baseball said, like, okay, like guys, like we really need to not do this anymore, and they start figuring out their testing policy. Like right. that's not they're in my mind. As soon as it becomes, as soon as it becomes illegal across the board, like they're cheating. Right. And I don't condone that for one second. Right. And but no at the same time, yes. it's that if everybody's doing it across the board, which I think is the general consensus, mm-hmm. the achievement's the achievement. And that's right. what we're that's Right. What we're and I think, yeah, in no shape or form do we condone the use of performance enhancing drugs. But for the time period when it was not banned by Major League Baseball and they looked the other way, I think it's, I think it's okay to you know, celebrate what they accomplished. Yeah, agreed. I think that's fair. All right, back on track here. Let's yeah. talk a little bit more about yourself. Now, native Washingtonian, you, you've grown up here, you live here now. Are you here for life? Here for life, no doubt about it. What was it, uh, what was it like growing up here in DC? Interesting question. Uh, I would say, you know, I, I, I'm, not, I'm not entirely convinced that it's that different from go- growing up in a number of mm-hmm. um, you know, similar cities. The cultural demographic um, is probably similar to like a lot of other places. Mm-hmm. So I'm from uh, uh, my parents still live in in Tenley Town, so in yeah. Northwest DC. So I grew up there, and I went to uh, went to public schools, Janet Dillon Wilson. And you know, as much as things have changed in DC in, in just my lifetime, um, you know, a lot of things kind of stay the same. So mm-hmm. you know, I went to all public schools and yet the demographics of the neighborhood that I grew up in were such that, you know, it's just socioeconomically completely different from other parts of the city. Yeah. So, you know, those three schools, um, well, certainly, you know, they certainly are representative of, of the diversity in the, in the city. They are, you know, full of families that are largely white and Mm -hmm. uh, they have a lot of families that are largely white and, um, you know, the average income is higher and, you know, all of these other, all of these other uh, data points that just make it such that the environment is different than if I had gone to a public elementary, middle and high school in, you know, in Brightwood where this gym is or in Anacostia or wherever, it just would have been completely right. different. So, you know, while I grew up kind of understanding that, I'm really thankful for that. This is kind of a liberal bubble, you know, we live in right. here. Um, but I'm really thankful for my experience growing up and experiencing some, you know, level of diversity in the, in the school system, which just kind of bleeds into your life and your yeah. worldview. Um, so, yeah, so I think I had a great childhood. Uh, I love my parents to death. They are, they were great parents and, yeah. um, you know, I'm from here. I, I will stay here. I met my wife when I was in elementary school. Oh, wow. Uh, we've been together for a really long time. And God bless him. Almost all of my closest friends I've known since, yeah, since I was like eight years old or something like that. So I count myself thankful. I don't know if that's a DC thing, but yeah, native Washingtonians are, are somewhat rare around. A rarity, a rarity. How many, how many of your, your friends, people you grew up with have stayed in the area? A decent amount, actually. It's, it's really? been... I, it's one of my favorite, it's one of my favorite things that people are returning to, you know, the community that they're from and, and especially that, um, you know, social activism being such a hot button issue right now and such a kind of a 
almost, you know, popular thing I would think for, for young people, which is outstanding. Yeah. I've kind of experienced that people, that the people that I grew up with have returned to DC and maybe they're not, you know, maybe they're not like just a, maybe they're not a, a social activist as their job, but a lot of them are giving back to the community through their work, whether mm -hmm. they work in a healthcare setting or work with kids in one capacity or another, or teachers, um, things like teachers. And yeah, I have a friend who's a, a you know, public, a DC public school teacher. Um, so they're, they're finding ways to give back. And I think that is super powerful and yeah. really builds a community and in a place like DC where gentrification is as complicated a problem as it is yeah. um, having natives work the, you know, work within the system to improve it from the inside out. Um, I, I think is outstanding. Right. Well, I, I think that's a big, um, a big thing is having, you know, including native Washingtonians in that process of, of, um, you know, that gentrification process, not just all, you know, cheesecake factories and, uh, you know, LA fitnesses. It's, it's, you know, people, uh, who have been here for, for years, grew up here and, and know the city. I think, you know, empowering those people to, um, develop businesses and, and make change, I think goes a long way towards that, um, you know, developing a community and, uh, and that, that DC, uh, sense of pride. Um, no doubt about it. It's also the, the kind of community you develop, you know, I mean, you're down in your, your gym is down in Navy Yard and, and, you know, maybe there's no better place in the whole city to look to see what developing one kind of community looks like, you yeah. know, how many luxury condo buildings or high rise, you know, office buildings that are going to be occupied by massive whatever lobbying right. firms, consulting companies, like it's just somewhat, it's somewhat one note, you know? Right. And I don't, uh, I don't believe that is how a super healthy community exists. Do I think all those things are bad? No. Like people who, if people want to come and do business in your city, if people really want to live in your neighborhood, you know, if there's a demand for something, that's a good thing. But if right. that means that it's, if it's at the, there's always an expense there, you know what I mean? And yeah. if it's at the expense of everyone who grew up here, because all of a sudden their rents triple, you know, whatever it is. Right. Um, I don't view that as, as a healthy way to grow a, a culture or a community. That's, and that's the thing, you know, I, you know, love this, this community, this area to death, but it is very, very new, very shiny, very, you know, one dimensional that um, there's a lot going on here, but it's all very new. You know, there aren't, you know, yeah. There, there aren't a lot, I, I won't say there aren't any, but you know, there aren't a lot of, you know, restaurants that have been here, you know, that cornerstone restaurants that have been here for, for decades or dive right. bars where you can stop in, you know, things like that. And, um, you know, I, I can definitely appreciate having, having things like that. And then I can also appreciate having, you know, nice restaurants, nice stores, nice apartment buildings, you know, for they sure. all, they all have their, their role, um, in developing that community i think you know there, there has to be a, a good balance of you know the old and the new not just completely you know just washing out you know all uh you know aspects of that community totally agree i, I think there's a big role to be played here you know by local government and by you know individual individuals in all of these areas and another reason i'm just really genuinely happy to see the level of social activism all over the country, but I mean, especially here in DC and you know, obviously the, the recent, a lot of the recent movement has not been around DC housing prices. No, 
you know, uh, around policing practices and systemic racism. And all that's obviously important, but yeah. seeing the community stand up for itself and really acknowledge the kind of power that a big group of, you know, uh, it seems big, but like an organized group of people have, you know, to achieve things that they, that, that they work for is, is super, super powerful. It really is. A lot of these voices are, are now being heard um, and uh, nowhere to go but up. But uh, yeah, I've, it's, it's been one of my, one of my reactions to, to seeing all of the activism is like, this is good. This is good for this community. Right. Voices who used to be voiceless um, can now be heard. And I think it's just, you know, it's, it's just taking a whole bunch of small steps over and over and over. And, you know, the more people that take, you know, these small steps and, uh, you know, are coming together and ultimately creating, you know, that big change, you know, hopefully, um, you know, and, and the way that they are, you know, going towards, you know, with this social activism, activism. Um, yeah, I think that's the nice thing. You're seeing all the people just starting to do little by little by little. And ultimately, you know, hopefully it's going to result in a, uh, you know, positive change. Yeah. I, I listened to a podcast with Arian Foster, the running back from the Houston Texans. Oh yeah. Who played for some other teams. Um, he's a really smart guy. I, I didn't really know anything about him besides that he was a professional football player. But he's a really smart guy, you know, very socially aware. And he said that one of his like consistent messages when he talks to people about like, non-football, about, you know, social topics is that you can kind of focus on your local community. You can like little wins matter, you know, like, little achievements matter. And as much as I think anybody who's paying attention understands there are, you know, big problems that underlie a lot of these, a lot of these things like police brutality, yeah. um, like stacking those little wins. I, I think is, I totally agree with what you just said. I think it's an important way to get where you're going. And also like showing incremental progress is a great way to keep people interested. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, I think, you know, by uh, just, taking those small steps and just getting, you know, getting these conversations started, um, you know, and it, it's awesome that we live in this, you know, city where we can have those conversations and, uh, you know, people are, you know, not shy about it, which is, which is probably the first step is, you know, having people willing to have those conversations in the first, first place, um, you know, is what, what's moving us, um, you know, in the right direction, you know, hopefully. Um, this has been strength coaches talking politics, which how is about that? You know what? This might be a whole nother podcast right here, actually. <laughs> um, so, so you grew up in DC, Wilson high school. Uh, where'd you go to school? To college. To a college. I went to a college. Yeah. I went to uh, Princeton university and played baseball there. All right. All right. So continued on Princeton. What'd you study at Princeton? Politics. Uh, economics major. Economics. Okay. All right. That ties in. Wouldn't be surprised if it wasn't politics. Um, yeah, no. I really hate politics, but it just, you know, I feel like I have to, I feel like I have to, it's one of those things like I, I want to be an active citizen. So I, I follow it, but yeah, it's not, I really like it. I want to be in it, you know, seems icky. So, so here's the, the, the million dollar question, which I'm sure you've been asked a million times Ooh. is how do you go from, how do you go from a Princeton economics major grad to a strength coach? What's the, what's the transition there? Sure. Um, relatively s simple story. You know, I hate to, I, I hate to, uh, 
I'll, I'll, I'll maybe I'll like add some some details that are fake and make this a better story. But no, I um, <clears throat> a lot of my classmates. So if you're like, like a lot of my economics economics classmates wanted to do investment banking, that's a really popular one. Um, you know, move to New York, get a job on Wall Street with a big bank. And one of the things that I knew for sure when I was in college was I did not want to spend my work days sitting at a desk. It was like just that simple. It was not active enough. I was yep. not particularly interested in it. Um, so that was kind of a guiding, it was like a guiding force. So <clears throat> when I, I was training with a, I was training with a guy named Josh Courage. He had a company called Courage Performance and I was working out with him when I was in, was like, I think it started when I was like a junior in high school. And then when I'd be home on, on breaks or I played summer ball here in the, in the Cal Ripken league for two summers. So when, when I was here, I would continue training with him through college. And I, you know, like worked like, you know, I would like help him edit videos back when you had to actually take videos on a video camera, um, which is a newsflash. If there are any listeners like under the age of 18, yes. um, I would do that or, you know, go and get lunch and, you know, just like simple little jobs as a way to fill some hours outside of just playing summer ball and working out. Yeah. So I, after I graduated, I was like, okay, I'm just going to go. I'm going to basically be like an intern uh, for Josh. And I was going to be around the gym. I was going to get to work out a lot. I was going to be around some young athletes, all good stuff. And I'd figure it out. You know, I'd figure out what I wanted, but I had no idea what I wanted to do with my life. Right, and then right. he moved to California after that. I graduated in the in uh, May or June, whatever it was, mm -hmm. and then worked for him over the summer. And then he moved to California in the fall. Oh wow! And so I started training the clients that he he did some he did similar to what I do now. Did some work with young athletes. Did some work with personal training clients, older people, right, to different ages and athletic backgrounds. And so I started training his clients, and that's really. I've been doing it, been doing it ever since in a number of different capacities, move locations, you know, all that kind of stuff. But right. that's how it started. And then obviously I loved it. It was uh -huh. way better than what I call a real job. Oh yeah. Uh, I feel you on that. So, yeah. I've just, I've, I've loved getting to where I am now. And that's been it. So, so there was never like an internship where you like sat in a, you know, like at a desk where you're like, this is just not made for me. No. No, I, I mean, just I could have done that and yeah. then been like, wow, this sucks. And then, you know, not done it anymore, but I skipped right. that step. So I, <laughs> no, I mean, I, I'm, I'm, sh I would guess if I had never gone to work for Josh, I definitely would have found myself into uh, what I would call like a more normal job at some point. Sure. And look, I mean, I'm 30 now. Like I understand people make, uh, you could call it a sacrifice, but like you, you give up some of the idealism for reality. Right. And I'm not, I'm not even saying like I, w I wouldn't have like settled it, found some job that was intellectually stimulating and liked it. Right. But instead I found this and like it a lot. Yeah. And I'll change when I have to. I, I feel you. Yeah. I mean, you know, for me, you know, it was uh, the summer heading into my, my senior year of college when I, I worked, uh, I was working in the Yankees organization uh, with their AAA team and, as a strength coach. And then I was interning at the hospital for special surgery in Manhattan at the uh, PT clinic there. And it's a traditional outpatient clinic. And, uh, you know, don't get me wrong, like that's some people, that's good for them. Um, but I was in there and you're working with people doing their clamshells and their glute bridges and these, you know, basic exercises. And it just wasn't... Um, what I enjoy. I just didn't enjoy it. You're, you're running around, 
you know, seeing, you know, multiple people every hour, you know, versus just, you know, focusing on one person. And then I would, you know, on the other days of the week, I would be up in Scranton working, you know, in the Yankees organization. And I was like, this is, this is great. This is what I want to do. And, uh, that was just always like in the back of my head when I went on to PT school was, uh, you know, like there's like your traditional like outpatient orthopedic physical therapy clinic. But then I was like, there's also like this performance side that I'd like to like figure out and like, you know, give people the option to like, Hey, like maybe you need more than just, you know, these basic exercises. There's only so many, you know, times you can go on the leg press before you're like, all right, am I actually helping my knee get any better? And, uh, and so that was where, you know, like for me, like, you know, I was like, I had the experience of like being in the kind of clinic that I didn't want to be. And, uh, and then I also had the experience of like, all right, this is where I'd like to also, this is where I would like to be. And it is like, it's like, how do we like, you know, make this happen? I think that's kind of like for you is like, you like made this, you know, dream job happen. Yeah. Um, quick question for you. So when did you decide to, that you didn't want to just do it? Maybe it was baseball. Maybe it would end up being another sport, but like high level, you know, uh, why don't you want to be the team physical therapist for the Yankees big league club or, or do you? Um, I think, you know, I, I had my, my time working in professional sports and I loved it and got great experiences out of it. Just, you know, both professionally and socially, um, you know, it's just like a, it was a great time, but it comes to the point where, you know, now that I'm, you know, I'm also 30 going on 31 here and you don't want to live out of a suitcase nine months out of the year. You know, I think that's a big part of it that people don't look at, you know, not just with like coaches, like in our case, but also the athletes themselves, like they're away from their families, you know, nine months out of the year, you know, uh, sometimes even longer. And that's, that was, you know, cool when I was 21, 22. But, you know, as I got older, I was like, do I really want to um, settle down? Uh, do, do I want to like settle down or do I want to just, you know, keep traveling, moving around, you know, on this grind where, you know, you're working, you know, 12 hours a day, seven days a week, um, you know, with minimal time off. And for me, once I, you know, went through PT school, uh, I, I kind of had the thought that, cause then my, my last rotation PT school was with the San Francisco giants and, uh, sorry for the name drops. And, uh, and, uh, I kind of had in the back of my mind that I would, you know, work as a PT in a clinic for, you know, two years. Cause my, my boss from the giants, um, shout out Tony Reale. He, uh, his name is Tony Reale. Tony Reale. Yeah. Just like the guys like, like the end, right? Yeah. 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 And, okay. uh, and so, uh, you know, he basically told me that, you know, he thought that people needed two years of, uh, experience before they went to go work in professional baseball or professional sports in general. So I kind of had that in the back of my mind that, you know, it was going to be two years of, you know, just getting your reps in essentially and becoming a good physical therapist. And so I, I took a job down here in DC and uh, I got exposed much quicker to the business side of things and realized I like that. I like, you know, creating relationships. And I felt that while I can help people as a physical therapist, I think if I, you know, had my own practice, own setting, uh, I could ultimately uh, help more people. And, and so that was where, you know, I made the jump from just being a physical therapist to being, you know, having, having big league here. So, um, 
And for me, you know, I think, you know, when I was, you know, working in professional baseball, you know, I saw all the guys who got, you know, what they used to call the big league treatment. It was like, oh, he's big league. You know, one of the guys who was in the major leagues doing a rehab assignment or one of the top prospects who was around, they'd get like the big league treatment, you know, whether that was like extra swings in the batting cage, whether that was like the extra massage from the athletic trainer, extra attention in the weight room, whatever it might be. Um, they got, you know, this extra attention. And I was like, I want to take that big league treatment and bring it to the people. And I think a lot of, you know, I mean, and the way they used that wasn't so much as like a compliment that like, oh, he's big league. But the way I saw it was I can take this big league idea and bring it to people so that they can feel like they're in the big leagues, you know? Um, and so, you know, I had that in the back of my mind and then, you know, for like the whole time, because when you go to PT school, they don't really teach you how to run a business. They don't teach you any of that kind of side stuff. And so in my mind, I was like, oh, maybe when I'm like 40 or 50, I'll like start my own practice. And then, you know, a year in at my first job and I was like starting to understand a little bit of like what went into running, running practice. And, you know, it's probably about, you know, 18 months into my job, year and a half in where I was like, all right, like this is definitely a possibility. This is something I can do, you know, and I'm going to do it a lot sooner than what I had originally planned. And I figured I could have people come to me here versus, you know, like I said before, living in a suitcase, you know, out of a suitcase nine months out of the year. Well, I, I, I have, I've known for, so I, like I said before, I've, I've known my uh, now wife since we were in elementary school. So we dated through college. We did like the, the long distance thing for four years. And one of the, another one of the things that, that influenced my decision to, come back to DC at all and then you know, go to work, um, you know, as like a strength intern instead mm -hmm. of trying to apply for like a different job was I like more than anything wanted to be in the same place as her. So I've kind of, I've kind of known for a long time that, I mean, I guess there, I guess it's possible that the two of us could have moved somewhere a long time ago, but both of our families are here. Like we just right. love it. So I've kind of known for a while that I was going to be here, but I completely understand what yeah. you're saying about not wanting to, you know, I, so I work as a strength coach, so right. I, and I work with baseball players. So I've thought about, you know, w would I like to work in professional baseball, be it like a, a strength and conditioning coach for a pro team. And yeah. exactly that same reason is the beginning and the end of the conversation. I right. just can't, uh, it's, if people like it, more power to you. It's awesome. Exactly. A lot of those exactly. people are great at their jobs. They do a real, I mean, they help players immeasurably. But I just know that for me, I can't do that. Right. Yeah. I, I think it's, it's just, it's, it's like I said, it's a good thing. Like when you're younger and you, know, you don't have a family, but you know, for me, it was like two years into being here. I realized that I got exposed to like this business side of things. I had a girlfriend. I was in a great relationship or I still am in a great relationship. Megan, if you're listening. And, uh, and I was just like, you know, it doesn't really make sense for me to pick up and move to Florida, move to Arizona, wherever it is. It was just like, you know, let's just do this here and, you know, let's see where it goes and so far. Well, I think, I think what you said about the, the, the big league treatment really resonates with me now. I've been doing this for long enough that I've, I refer people to go see physical therapists. Um, I get referred sometimes from physical therapists for people who are like returning to returning to play as it were, whether it's, you know, a, a competitive athlete or, right. or somebody just trying to get back into their normal life and the divide between 
uh, I guess, so you've called it just like the standard outpatient orthopedist, like physical therapy, mm-hmm. and a person who's doing one-on-one for an hour is just night and day. Not to say that the other one, that the other one can't work, but right. when I refer, I'll just speak just for myself. When I refer someone to a physical therapist, I only refer them to physical therapists who will work with them one-on-one for an hour. Yeah. I do not refer them otherwise. And, it, and the it, reason is the outcomes are better. Yeah. Just, they just are. Yeah. And that's the thing is, is um, it's nothing against those physical therapists. You might work at one of those, you know, chains or hospital uh, centers. It's just, you know, the model, the business model is, it's a, it's a business model, not a treatment plan. That's what it comes down to is, you know, it's a business model of seeing four people an hour versus seeing one person an hour. And unfortunately, it's not a a patient first treatment model. And as a result, people, you know, have bad experiences, have, you know, bad ideas of like what physical therapy is. And, you know, it definitely, I think, you know, overall, it hurts the profession more than moves it forward. And, you know, I think, you know, being able to, you know, work with someone one on one, just, you know, as you know, you might for an hour, uh, you know, we're able to talk more about their life than just like their knee or their back. It's like, well, you know, you know, in our case, you know, when we're working with baseball players, it's, you know, how's, you know, how's your practices been? How's your training sessions been? How's, you know, how are you swinging? How are you throwing? Um, you know, you get, to, you get to learn a little bit more about that. You know, how's school going? You get to learn about their stresses, their sleep level, all those things that go into it. And, you know, overall, it's a more holistic approach that, you know, ultimately, if we're going to improve, um, you know, healthcare in this country, that's the direction we should be moving. Uh, not just, you know, volume, volume, volume. It's, you know, let's get people better. Uh, and let's, you know, prevent these things from actually happening in the first place. You, you know, did. I think you, know, you look at right now with with COVID. And, you know, you're gonna look at these people, you know, like with pre existing conditions, people like diabetes, heart disease, um, things like that that can, uh, you know, I'm not going to say they can all be prevented, but, you know, certainly those populations could be minimized with the right education, with the right, um, you know, with, with exercise, with nutrition, with, you know, proper, you know, lifestyle um, adjustments. And, uh, you know, there's no talk about, oh, how do we, you know, minimize these populations? You know, how can we prevent people from getting diabetes? How can we prevent people from getting heart disease? Instead, it's, the focus is on, Oh, what's the latest treatment for diabetes? What's the latest surgery for heart disease? And I think that's where, as a country, I think we're missing out in terms of moving healthcare forward. And, you know, it's obviously a hot issue right now, you know, with look, the look at like healthcare costs and, uh, and how things are blowing up. And ultimately, you know, we're not, you know, I, I think we are failing, you know, people in this country by not, you know, getting them pushing the needle forward like we should be. Move the District is sponsored by Big League Performance and Rehab. At Big League Performance and Rehab, we help active adults stay that way, pain-free and active during the sports and activities that they love for life. We do this by working on four different areas. That's movement, nutrition, stress management, and sleep. When we optimize these four areas, you feel better, you move better, and you live better. Head to bigleagueperformanceandrehab.com to see how we can help you stay active for life. I could not agree with everything you just said anymore. I mean, that was just, that's, ex- I completely telepathy. agree with that. Telepathy. And it's, yeah, it, part of it, the, the, what did you say? It's a business plan, not a, 
not a uh, health yeah, it's, it's a business plan, not a treatment plan. Not a treatment plan. That's it. Yeah, that's completely true. I we're, let's just jump back into politics. Yeah, let's do it. But yeah, I mean the 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 way that insurance companies and big healthcare companies have bastardized healthcare. I think it's a. I think as hot button as as he is right now. I think I heard Greg Glassman, the founder of CrossFit, or Got maybe it. somebody else. Yeah, we but we're really we're really diving deep here. We don't have to do that. I know you're in a CrossFit gym. Yeah, I'm sure it's. I'm sure it's former been former CrossFit gym. But I think it was him, or maybe maybe it was just on some you know CrossFit thing that I read said that American healthcare is not healthcare; it's sick care, and that's totally accurate. Yeah. And we only treat the problems after they arise, and the lack of preventative healthcare, which is often I mean, it's just a more the 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 slight level that economics has crept into my brain tells me that it's just a much more efficient allocation of resources to spend way less on telling people to eat healthfully, sleep, find ways to de-stress and be mindful and exercise. Yeah. And if like we did all those things, we would be keeping our overall costs down, but cost to somebody is, is profit to somebody else. So um, I, there's just powerful incentives to keep it the way it's going. Um, but yeah, no, I think we fixed American healthcare. If you just would cut and paste this and you can send it to uh, my congressperson who cannot vote uh, say. In either in either uh, part of our legislative branch. So, um, yeah, DC, DC statehood. Is it, I got is a lot. It, of, I got a lot of beefs. It turns is, out. Is DC statehood going to happen? What do you think? It's not going to. Ha- I mean, it's not going to happen until <clears throat> every Republican has decided to just cede two more votes, two more ha- votes in the Senate for almost every single election, which they won't do. No. So it's a, it's. I mean, it's brutal. There's a lot of problems out there, but the the way we treat you know, Washington, D.C., and then probably even worse, Puerto Rico and, and some of the other protectors. Oh, 100%. Just completely unconscionable. I, I have no idea how anybody can, can you know, not vote for this kind of thing and sleep at night, but they do, and uh, they, they're doing a lot worse. I'm not saying, like, I am the worst. I'm the most affected person, but it's just a ridiculous – it's just ridiculous, completely right, right. ridiculous. Yeah, no, I feel you. Um, all right, let's get back into this again. Yeah. Um, Let's talk about who who do you work with at District Performance? Who's the average District Performance client? Uh, it's one of two people. So about, I would say, in terms of actual numbers of people that I work with, I basically work with half young athletes. So mm-hmm. probably between 13 and 18. Um, it can go a little bit on either side of that. Some college, some college athletes and um, a pro guy here or there. And then some, I get some kids who are a little younger than that. So young athletes and a big part of, because I coach baseball for DC dynasty, I, I played baseball. I grew up here. Um, that's just kind of the, the community that I'm in. Right. And it's the, the thing I know the most about from a strength and conditioning standpoint. So the most of those end up being baseball players, young baseball players. And gotcha. then I have a variety of, uh, just personal training clients, mostly one-on-one, a couple of, of small groups here and there. And those run the gamut of age, uh, goals, athletic history, injury history, just all up and down the board from, uh, you know, 29 year old um, person who wants to get better at their flag football league to a 75 year old uh, who has some persistent like elbow pain when they try to play tennis. Right. Um, right. So yeah, runs a gamut. How, uh, how does training the adolescent baseball player compare to training an adult? Interesting question. Um, well, they're, 
when someone, I think like the guiding, the guiding force in whether you're a strength coach or probably like, uh, I'm interested to hear what you think about this from a physical therapist perspective, but the guiding force has got to be like, what is the person training for? What, what do they want? What is their, you know, what is their, what is the outcome they want? If they're playing a sport, you know, that kind of thing. So for the young athletes, they come in the door and want to get better at their sport for the young baseball players. They're a baseball player. They're 14. They want to play baseball in college say, and they have been told by somebody that, you know, lifting is good if they want to get better at that. So, um, so then their program is catered to meet those goals, the specific demands of baseball, which are, um, you know, I would, I would argue more specific than a lot of other sports, um, even more so for a pitcher, but just the nature of the nature of throwing, um, especially slightly changes how you you need to train to, to fit the demands of the sport. And then for somebody older, like a lot of them come in and it's just a simple, I want to be healthier. Sometimes it comes with a weight loss goal. Sometimes, sometimes it comes with, uh, often it comes with, um, kind of a lower level performance goal. Like I want to be able to go running like I used to 10 years ago, or I want to, uh, you know, play pickup basketball or something like that. Um, it's usually a little bit more general. It's just like general, I call it general fitness in nature. Right. So they just like want to improve the, the overall quality of their quality of their life and prevent things like chronic disease and, and all that kind of stuff. So it's, it's different. Generally, whenever anybody comes in the door, they've taken the, the hardest step, which is the first one, which is seeking out someone to help them with right. their strength, conditioning, health, or fitness. So generally like they're, they're pretty motivated on both ends. You know, right. like they've already, they've, they've crossed over that barrier of not being motivated enough to do anything about it, which is a really hard barrier to cross. It's got a lot of inputs there. Um, so it's, you know, it's kind of like the difference. You feel the, the training programs are pretty different, but mm-hmm. from like a motivational standpoint or the interpersonal piece, obviously teenagers are different than, different than, you know, 65 year olds, but That's anybody who's interacted with teenagers and 65 year olds, my job's no, not really any different. Right. Right. Yeah. I think, um, yeah, I, I think the big part is creating those connections. And I think no matter what, whether it is a 65 year old, whether it is a 16 year old, it's creating those connections and showing them that you care. hundred you know? percent. Um, cause we can have the best training programs in the world, but if we're dicks, then no one's going to want to work with us. Yes. <laughs> you know? Yeah. So, so showing people that we care ultimately is like the number one thing. Um, but yeah, I think, you know, what, what I tell my people is basically like, I'll work with anybody that has a goal. As long as you have a goal, you know, it doesn't matter what that goal is. It could be to run a marathon. It could be to make the baseball team. It could be to be able to pick your kid up, you know, out of the crib. And it doesn't matter. You know, it could be something as simple as that. You know, I worked with a guy who, you know, just wanted to be able to walk around Disney World with his, with his grandkids. You know, it's something simple as that. It doesn't have to be like a competitive goal. Yes. Um, it just has to be a goal. And um, I think that that's the ultimate, ultimately the big thing. Have you found, in terms of people who are willing to um, stick with you, in ter- you know, for, for long periods of time, have you found people who do have goals to be uh, more successful than people who don't have a goal, who just want to be, I just want to be healthy? Yeah. That's an interesting question. 
Um, part of it is because if your goal is to just like be healthy and going to see a personal trainer a couple of times a week or once a week is like, that's a, a piece of that puzzle for you. Mm-hmm. Um, even though their goal is not quite as tangible as a right. number on a radar gun, say, yeah, continuing to do it is meeting the goal. If that makes sense. They've made this, they've added this thing into their, to their, you know, preventative health system for the, to their own preventative health care. And continuing to do it over and over again is, um, you know, is kind of meeting the goal. So that's, it's a little, it's a little bit different when you evaluate it that way. But I would say what you said about the relationship building is massive. People yeah. who, people who, yeah, if they don't like you, like they won't show up. There's a, there's a, you know, a, is it an aphorism? I'm not sure if that's the right word in sports. They say, nobody cares how much you know until they know how much you care. Yeah. And that is, could not be any, any more important. Same yeah. thing. And that's the same with the kids in the personal training cl- and, and my older personal training clients. You know, if you treat them like a cog in the machine um, or, you know, you just don't really particularly show them that their, that their improvement is important to you, they will not keep coming back. Um, yeah. But I'm not sure I would, I'm not sure. And the reason I'm not sure is because with the young athletes who Mm -hmm. almost all of whom have very tangible goals, sometimes it's throwing harder. Sometimes it's playing baseball in college. Sometimes making their high school team, some, you know, whatever being a pro. And with that population, I have seen such vast differences in motivation. You know, those are the ones who are like, they're, Personal training clients who are choosing to come and see me, like they, they generally, they show up. Yeah. They're coming Mondays and Wednesdays. They're going to show up on Mondays and Wednesdays. And some of them like to, you know, some of them complain here and there and there's some banter there, but generally like they're coming and they're going to do the work. Right. And with the young ones, um, it's complicated. Sometimes their parents are, their parents are driving the bus, you know, and their parents have heard that it's good for their baseball career to train yep. with me. So like they're, you know, pushing the motivation piece. Um, and then sometimes I got kids who, you know, like they know they're going to make their high school baseball team and, and they're not going to play after high school. And yet they're at every training session and they're a leader and they're, and they're locked in. So, you know, you could say that's the tangible goal. just like be good at baseball this year, as opposed to somebody who's like, I really want to make the big leagues. Like, that's what I want. I'm going to work to that. Right. But I, I would say nor- normally I, the answer to that would be yes. But for me, it's uh, just a difference in kind of human motivation, competitiveness and uh, stuff like that. And it just, it just varies. Right. Cause I, I think you definitely can't understate the importance of having a goal. And, you know, I think the goal of like, Hey, I'm going to work out with a, with a trainer three days a week. I think that's, that's a goal, you know? Yeah. Um, yeah. You know, that's a goal. Absolutely. Guys, I, I see it. I think, you know, I think you tend to have more success in, in PT world when, you know, someone comes in with knee pain and their goal is to not have knee pain versus sure. someone who has knee pain and their goal is to get rid of their knee pain so they can run a marathon, you know? And I think that plays, you know, those, I think, I think having a goal and it, it might just, and it might be something as like, Hey, I want to get back to CrossFit so that I can, you know, hang out with my friends. Yeah. Um, you know, it's, it's, you know, it's more than just like, Oh, I'm going to, you know, run a three hour marathon. It's, I want to, be able to take that trip to, you know, LA with my friends to run the marathon in LA this year or something like that. I think yeah. that is, um, I think that's, you know, like, you know, making sure they have a goal of some sort. 
that's really interesting. And I, I think one of the, um, you know, maybe that kind of highlights the difference between just a strength coach and a, and, you know, you, I would, I would say you're a combination of certainly of a strength coach and a, and a physical therapist, Yeah. but the, like, what well, I've experienced this, experienced this with personal training clients where if I get a personal training client who went to their annual physical and their doctor told them they were pre-diabetic, they had hypertension, they had like all these problems and their doctor says like, look, I, I think you really need to get fitter or you're at risk for having a heart attack. Those people, like that is a light bulb moment for a lot of people. And when exactly. it comes to people who go see a physical therapist, I think pain's a, often a light bulb moment. It's like, oh my God, my knee hurts every day. Like I need to, I need to get rid of this immediately. Whereas the, just the pure per, kind of performative side of strength and conditioning or even for a personal training client is I think often viewed kind of as an add-on. Right. You know, it's like I'm going to baseball practice every day. I'm playing games on the weekend you know, like, could I add some more to that? Could I kind of go above and beyond? Yes. Is it an absolutely necessary input? I think a lot of people would say, would say no. Similarly to the health piece. Some people think, you know, I, I walk three times a week. I feel like my diet's okay. You know, do I need a, a physical or a a personal trainer? Um, Often, you know, the answer until something, until that light bulb moment, light bulb moment happens is no. Yeah. Um, And I'm not saying everybody needs a personal trainer, Right. I think that pain, the pain piece really makes a lot of sense um, in terms of like, you know, the, 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 the motivation of, of people coming in to see you. But it's interesting that you've noticed the, the difference between I want my back to stop hurting and I want my back to stop hurting so that I can do this other thing. Right. And I, I think, you know, I'll be, I'll be honest, is I think pain, while like, yes, it is like a, a light bulb moment, I think a lot more people than me and you both think have pain on a regular basis yeah. and don't do anything about it. Uh, you know, I've been to, you know, I've taught like workshops, you know, all over the city here and, you know, I'll have a group of, you know, 10, 20 people and I'll say who here is completely pain-free and, you know, completely pain-free and seldomly will I have like one person raise their hand, you know, and, and, you know, people have pain, people have aches and pains and don't really, to be honest, really don't even really know what to do about it. And, um, you know, a lot of people just like chalk it up to getting old, you know, sure. or, or that, you know, they shouldn't be running or they shouldn't be, you know, squatting or, or whatever it might be. And, you know, I think there's a lot of like that, that like misinformation out there that like, Oh, like my back is supposed to hurt cause I'm 40 now. And it's yeah. like, what? No, no, it's not. You should be able to still do all the things, you know? And, and not necessarily yeah. have to worry about your back hurting. And, and I, you know, another like question I like asked them at the workshop is like, do you think it's normal for the resting state of the human body to be in pain? And people are like, uh, no. And I'm like, yeah, yeah, right. Exactly. So like, I'm like, so then why are you guys dealing with pain on a regular basis? You yeah. know? And like, I don't know. And, and you know, the answer is like, you know, I think the answer is that there's a lot of, uh, fear behind seeing a provider and people, uh, you know, they're afraid they're going to go see a PT. They're going to go see a physician, whoever it is. And they're going to go, Oh, you, you can't run again. You can't play baseball again. You can't squat again. And you know, my goal, obviously, I don't know. I, I can't, I can't speak for everyone, but I think PT plays an important role in this, um, is to, um, bridge that gap between the health and the fitness communities. I think, 
there's such a, uh, a divide right now. You know, you go to your trainer and they're telling you to run, they're telling you to squat and jump, do all these great things for your body. And then you go to your, your doctor and your doctor, and I'm including PTs and doctors, uh, they'll, you know, be like, oh, you shouldn't run. You shouldn't yes. squat. You shouldn't do yes. this. And it's like, well, you know, we both have this vision of like, you know, health for, for our clients, but they, you know, I think are, are vastly different to a degree. And I think, you know, we all play, we obviously all play a role. And I think communication is obviously the most important part of that in terms of, you know, bridging that divide and being like, Hey, like we want to, we want you to be, you know, the best possible version of yourself. And, you know, for someone who's, you know, run their whole life, like that means continuing to run. So, you know, we should help people do the things they want to do. You know, I, I, I learned early on um, <clears throat> that one of the most powerful things that a, a person can know is what they don't know. So I, ha, I, I've been referring people to, to physical therapy, not to, not to denigrate, you know, orthopedics, or orthopedic surgeons or, or, or doctors, but I have just had such great experiences and such great outcomes for anywhere from young baseball players to, you know, 50 year olds, whatever, by sending them to physical therapists and then communicating with the physical therapist about like what they should be doing when they're kind of reintegrating, you know, their normal strength and conditioning or athletic activity. And I could not agree with you anymore that it, that communication piece, I mean, communication can solve so many problems in so many different places, but it is completely absent until somebody, until one member kind of breaks that, breaks that chain. Yeah. Yeah. And then I've, I've just said, I have not, not one time have I sent an email to a physical therapist and said, Hey, I'm a strength coach. I work with this person. They're going to come to see you. They're going to give you the okay to talk to me. You know, what do you think? Are there exercises that are contraindicated? What did you work on in PT this week? Or, you know, is there anything you want me to add to, you know, their, their at home stuff, anything like that? They always respond positively. Yeah. And I think that's because everybody knows that it's a good thing for the person. Um, Absolutely. Yeah. Totally agree that, that you guys kind of bridge that gap and you do it very effectively in, in my experience. And, uh, and you're the people that I have learned physical therapists is who I've probably learned the most from in my career as a strength coach. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think there's, you know, that that's, and I think, and, and I think physical therapists have a lot to learn from strength coaches. I think that's really the like under talked about spot is, is the role that physical therapists can learn from strength coaches and any student PT, uh, any undergrad who wants to go to PT, who's like, Mike, like, I love what you do. Like, I want to, I want to get into this side of things. They're like, like, what should I do? I tell them, go work with a strength coach. Go, go shadow a strength coach, go mm -hmm. learn how to squat, go learn how to deadlift, you know, learn these kind of things. And, you know, you can then take the principles you learn in PT school and see how you can bridge that gap. Cause I think PT school, um, for, you know, all the stuff that I did learn in PT school, you know, squatting, deadlifting, you know, moving, uh, you know, I think we're, we're referred to as movement experts. You know, a lot of times you'll hear that. And, and, I don't necessarily know if that's the case. <laughs> um, you know, we, we have a lot of tools and, you know, we don't get a lot of exercise instruction in PT school. And so we're really good at, you know, when someone gets hurt, like, oh, don't run, don't work out. But then when it comes time to get someone back in the game, 
you know, how do we best prepare them to get them back in the game? And I think that's where, you know, what PTs can learn from strength coaches. You know, I'd say, you know, my time as a strength coach, you know, between, you know, my time in professional baseball, my time at Scranton, uh, you know, ultimately taught me more about, you know, how I can help people now than, you know, what I got from, from, from PT school, um, just in terms of how to load people and like, get them back into games. You know, I, I, I learned how to teach a squat. I learned how to teach a deadlift and, you know, with, with those exercises, like, you know, maybe it's someone who's deadlifting 300 pounds or maybe it's someone who just wants to pick the, you know, a box up off the ground pain free, you know, it's all on that spectrum there. It's just a matter of where the person fits into that spectrum. And, uh, you know, same thing about squatting, you know, sometimes it's squatting 300 pounds. Sometimes it's getting out of a chair, getting off a toilet. Right. Um, you know, a sled push isn't that much, that much different than pushing a walker and, and it's all on this spectrum. And, uh, you know, I think PTs are really good at that one side of the spectrum. And then there's strength coaches on that other side of the spectrum. And, uh, you know, I think PTs could do, could do well to learn more from strength coaches. Well, by the exact same token, the, the, the most impactful, like pivot in, in my own understanding of how to be a good strength coach is to move much farther down that spectrum towards the physical therapy side, understanding functional anatomy, like understanding recovery procedures, uh, rehabilitation practices, like all that kind of stuff, getting more educated, honestly, like the, the education of, of the, you know, there's no barriers to entry to be a, a strength coach. Like and yeah. that, it's not even close, obviously not even close to being a physical therapist. There's no barriers to entry. So uh, anybody can be one and, you know, just knowing how to squat and deadlift you know, somehow qualifies you to train other people to do it. So right. the most impactful thing for me was understanding, like, I really need, I really need some of that knowledge. I'm not going to, you know, I, I don't have any plans to go to physical therapy school right now, right. but I really need to get some of that knowledge on my own if I want to be effective at, at what I'm doing now. And it makes total sense that both sides of that spectrum to improve would start to meet in the middle. Yeah. Um, so yeah, that's, that, that, that's I think that, you know, there's that, that gray area between the two areas that like, I think PTs and strength coaches both shouldn't be afraid to get into. I think, um, you know, there's a little bit of, on both sides, there's those egos, you know, whether it's, you know, strength coaches who think PTs are nerds who can't lift or whether <laughs> it's, you know, uh, PTs who think strength coaches are dumb jocks. You know, I'm just throwing out stereotypes here. No, no, but, but, but that's the that's the idea, and I think there needs to be, um, you know, it's it's not so much hey, like stay stay in your lane. Um, it's you know, how can we you know attack this together versus I do my thing, you do your thing, and yeah. don't bother me. And yes. and and I think uh, I think that's you know, and it it just all goes back to the same idea, just of that communication. There's a piece of this for sports coaches too. So I coach youth baseball. Yep. And then I, I do like, you know, I do lessons with some older guys and stuff like that, but the exact same things could be applied to baseball coaches and they could, they could move toward either side of that spectrum towards physical therapy, towards strength coaching and, and improve themselves. And I, I think that consistently the athletes who are developed the best is when they're hearing people speak with the same language who are emphasizing the same things. And so at all of their training in a week, if they have a PT session, a pitching lesson and then two lifts 
if they're getting all of the same cues, like they're like, it's a, it's a compound, it, it will compound their growth and lead to a significantly better outcome. That's certainly been my own experience, but most of the time, that's not how it is. It is people in their silos and they stay completely separate. And the baseball coach has his or her view of how many pitches little Johnny should throw on Saturday. And the physical therapist has their different views and the strength coach has no idea what's going on with any of that. Uh, but bridging those, bridging those gaps makes for better athletes, healthier athletes. And I just think it makes everybody happier, but it, for some reason, I, that seems so obvious and yet is so far from the norm, you know, that it's, it's kind of hard to understand, but yeah, totally agree with you. Yeah. I feel you. All right. So we're going to, we're going to dive down into, uh, some, uh, deeper, uh, ones here now that we're getting towards the end of this and we're, we're an okay. hour in. So, uh, let's talk, you know, we're talking a little bit more about you now. What, what do you feel like, what do you feel are your strengths? What are you good at? Uh, well, deadlifting first and foremost. Deadlifting, 100%. <laughs> I mean, you are a strength coach, so obviously. No. Uh, what are my strengths? Trap bar deadlifts. Trap bar deadlifts. Trap bar, trap bar deadlifts. Um, I would say my strengths are knowing a little bit about a lot. And... Just, like it's, it's kind of like what I just described. Am I the, the greatest baseball coach strength? I'm not a physical therapist, but greatest baseball co- coach, strength coach, or physical therapist that has ever lived? No. I, am, I would not consider myself to be expert level at any of those. Right. Uh, but understanding at a slightly lower level than that, the intersections between all of them, or from a health standpoint, the intersections of sleep habits, uh, nutrition, uh, how you train, work-life balance, a uh, little bit of psychology here and there, you know, all those kinds of th- the importance of mindfulness. Knowing a little bit about all those things, I think, enables you to create that holistic training effect. Mm-hmm. And that is what I think, I think I'm the best at parsing information and, and kind of narrowing it down to the real actionable needs of each piece and then having those pieces fit together. Yeah, I think a lot of people can like philosophize about, you know, a whole bunch of different things, but then what can people take away from it? You know, what are the actionable yeah. items? Nuts and bolts, uh, yeah. Exactly. What, uh, what do you struggle with? Mm. Can't say nothing. I care too much and I try to work too hard. Ah, you know? uh, there it is. Man, it's just, no. Um, <laughs> what do I struggle with? Um, I have very, I have very strong opinions. I, I, I like to think I have very strong opinions that are very weakly held. So I like to think of myself as an open-minded person. Um, but I have strong opinions, and I think that when I leave them, when I leave that unchecked, that can be off-putting to people. It can come across as dismissive, or um, holier than thou, or um, you know, judgmental. So. A, a big part of my own personal growth and obviously your personal growth always is going to affect your professional growth uh, is, you know, reining that in enough to, to quiet my own, quiet my own ego and, and, and allow myself to listen and, and learn from other people. Um, and then also understanding how I come across. Right. You know, because it, it's kind of like, like every, nobody thinks they're a bad driver, you know, but like, there's a lot of, you know, a lot of them are. My so girlfriend kind of will say I'm a bad driver, but yeah. I know I'm a good driver. <laughs> I know I'm a good driver. Yeah, me too. 
uh, my yeah, my car might say otherwise, but yeah, it's like the the ability to be introspective enough to understand how I could come across sometimes and and toning that down a little bit. What do you think is one thing we can do? What What do you think is one thing that people can do uh, to improve their health and fitness? Broad uh, thing. Okay. Um, Uh, if I had to boil that down, it would, it would say it would probably be educate yourself. Um, if you understand what good health and fitness are, you'll be much more able to, to execute it on your own. Um, but generally, like when I'm just talking about general health, I tell people to like do active stuff. It's like do active stuff that can look a million different ways. Some people like running, some people like hiking, some people like CrossFit classes, some people like whatever, like it doesn't really matter what you like at a really general level, um, but do active stuff. But the, the real fact is like, there's a million inputs into that. So the more you educate yourself, um, the easier, you'll, the easier of a time you'll have. Yeah. Yeah. What, uh, all right. So going back to, uh, going back to Princeton here for a second, what was your walkout song? Funny you asked that. Um, so when you're, when we were freshmen, it was chosen for you. <laughs> Um, so when I was in, when I was in a a freshman, they thought I looked like goose from Top Gun, um, and subsequently encouraged me, shall we say, to grow a mustache. I didn't have a, I didn't have a beard then. I can see it. Uh, I had a terrible blonde mustache. I mean, it was just, it was awful. Flesh colored. Nice. Was what it was. So they made it highway to the danger zone, which is the most popular. That's a pretty good one. Dude, pretty good. As like, that's as a pretty, like, that's a pretty nice. Messing with you goes. Yeah. You know, it, like a friend of mine had "Fearless" by Taylor Swift. Oh yeah, um, that could be bad. It's a good song, but good you know, tune. Good you're tune. A and you're coming in and you're getting ready to warm up, and then "Fearless" right. comes on. It's yeah. not listening to it anything. And then after that, okay, short vignette. Mm-hmm. We we had a pitcher who chose a. Let's see, he was a year older than me. Chose a song by The Game, the rapper, Ooh. to be his walkout song. Now. If I tell you you're going to have a game song as your walkout song, your next question should be like, so you got the edited version, right? Because oh it's not going to be clean. Oh, no. So somehow, who knows? I'm not laying blame at anybody. But the unedited version of the game got played when, when this person came into the game. Oh. And it was, you know, just as explicit as explicit music gets. Oh, no. And our coach, if I remember this correctly, our coach was so upset about that that he got, a, got rid of walkout songs. Oh God, this is, this is, see, this is something that I thought was like a division three thing. I thought this was like only could happen at Scranton baseball. My, my first two years, we had no walkout music. My junior year, we're like, all right, we're going to have walkout songs. Yeah. And my walkout song was here. I come by the roots, which I thought was pretty good. Um, and then, uh, yeah, the freshmen had their music chosen. Uh, Kesha was popular back then. Still is (laughs) Kesha. Um, shout out Kesha. This is a Kesha podcast. This is now a Kesha podcast. And, uh, they, uh, and then someone played an unedited version of a song. Yeah. And I, Oh no, 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 no. Oh, I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. It was not unedited version of the song. We were losing. We were losing. And like, we were getting our asses handed to us and our coach just said, no more walkout music. We're done. (laughs) We're done with this shit. And, um, and that was the end of the walkout music for the rest of my college experience. So rough. God, so we had it for, I, I think it, I want to say one weekend series. We had walkout music. I never even heard my song. You and know, also though, it was, a, it was, I mean, this is what 
12 years, 12 years ago? No. This is, this is 2010. 18, 12 years yeah. ago? Yeah. yeah. So it, it just was less common. It was yeah. less common that every, you know, if we went to a college baseball game right now, oh, yeah. that almost every school at their home ballpark plays walkout songs. Oh, it's yeah. It's just less common. I mean, the facility they have it at now, a sound system and everything. We were playing it yeah. through like a boom box that yes. was like into like a <laughs> megaphone. I yeah. mean, it was, it was, I mean, it's Division Three baseball. Oh, the and good old days. Exactly. Um, all right. Um, what's the, what's the last TV show you watched? Uh, like kind of all the way through or just like the last single episode I watched? Um, what are you watching right now? Okay. I am, uh. I'm a big uh, Office fan. Of course. Oh, are you a big Office fan? Obviously. Okay, okay. Big Office fan. So I have watched seasons probably like one through five multiple times. And right. then when they got rid of Michael, I was kind of out on it. So I yeah. can't stop watching. So I'm re-watching all the way through now. And oh. like the later seasons, I, uh, I just like haven't really – I don't really have any recollection of. It gets – it gets uh, – I – I can continue watching without Michael really up until the last, the last season. The last season gets painful. Yeah. Uh, I'm not going to ruin it for anybody. Uh, although the show is like at this point now, like really seven old. years old, seven years old. Um, but yeah, the last season I, I really like, it was kind of one of those, it was almost like a little cringy, but I enjoyed uh, Robert California. I thought he was a great character. Um, I think I've seen a couple of those episodes already, but yeah, having, haven't quite gotten there yet. You'll, you'll see. Yeah. And, uh, I, I still found those those uh, follow up seasons to be funny, except for that that last season was a little bit, eh. Yeah. But um, but no, I uh, yeah, obviously you know growing uh, I didn't grow up in Scranton, but in a way I did. I've spent seven seven out of my thirty years of my life in uh, in Scranton. So are there way, local landmarks like real local landmarks like restaurants and stuff? Um, from the show or is that not real? None of it's real. No. So most of the landmarks they reference in the show are real. The, nice. the big one that is not real is Chili's. There is no Chili's. There is no Chili's in Scranton. There, oh, I my. believe there's one down in Wilkes-Barre probably about, uh, I don't know, 30 minutes away or so, but I don't think they were referring to that one, but poor Richard is a real place. Farley's is oh. a real place. Cooper's is a real place. Nice. Um, Steamtown Mall is a real place. Alfredo's Pizza is a real place. Both of them or just the one? Just, just one. I, 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 there's so many pizza places up there in Scranton. Yeah. You know, they say uh, on every corner in Scranton, there's a pizza place, a bar, and a uh, church. And there's so many pizza places up there that, like, I don't, I don't even know. Uh, there might be two Alfredo's. But I can definitively say there's one that I have been to in Scranton. Um, but yeah, and, and uh, it was it was really cool, like being there while the show was on because they had like an office convention my freshman year where like Al Roker oh, and, and the Today nice. Show like came and like a bunch of the cast came, and then um, there was uh, like they, we, we all stayed up late and like or we stayed up the whole night, and uh, May had a few adult beverages and. We, you know, were there when Al Roker did his live shot at like, you know, four in the mo five in the morning, whatever it was. And then on, uh, and then my first year of PT school was the last season of The Office. And they had this big office farewell party where, uh, you know, they did like a whole big parade through the uh, city. And they had like a, um, like a whole big event at the, um, at the Scranton Yankee Stadium, actually. And like the whole cast was there. And then Steve Carell, 
I can't confirm this 100%, but I'm pretty sure he surprised everyone and landed in center field in a helicopter. <laughs> yeah. Wow. Yeah. And then, um, and then afterwards, they all the just about the whole cast went to a bar downtown, uh, backyard alehouse. Shout out backyard alehouse, which was not referenced in the show in the show at all. Uh, but they were all there behind the bar, and I got served a uh, gin and tonic from Jim, which is one of the uh, wow one of the, one of the highlights of my life. Wow, big deal. Yes, nice. yes. Um, what's the last book you read? Uh, I am almost done with a book called Undaunted Courage, which is a uh, nonfiction about uh, the Lewis and Clark expedition to the Pacific Ocean. Nice. All right. I like that. Are you more of a non? Are you more of a nonfiction guy? Uh, in general, yes. There are, you know, some obviously some fictional will will, will creep in there. I'm a Game of Thrones book guy. I, oh. I never watched the show. Oh, you were a book guy. You were one of those guys that was like, oh, well. I read not. the books, and then the show started coming out. And okay. uh, anytime uh, a film or TV adaptation of a book that I like deviates like heavily from the story, I'm just out on it. Um, yeah. So I'm I'm not. I'm not special for that reason, but yeah. Um, but yeah, no, mostly, mostly nonfiction. I, um, yeah. All right. All right. All right. Whitey, uh, it has been a blast having you on the show. We talked about a whole bunch of things today. Uh, how can people find you? Okay. So the best way is, is through the Instagram. Um, I love to highlight the athletes. I posted altogether too many videos of myself during the shutdown as a way to get all of the people I was sending uh, programs to like some demo videos. So oh, yeah, please, I like saw this. forgive that. Normally it's not quite so self aggrandizing. I mean, I've been posting videos of myself on Instagram for the last three years. So I mean, well, what are you trying to say, man? Uh, nothing at all. Nothing at all about you. Only about me. Maybe I'm just less photogenic. You know, I'm less oh. captivating to the camera lens. I, I don't know. How it's, do I save this? It's it's uh, always weird. It's always weird because like there are times when I'll be like looking right at the camera, and it's just like like just like a blank face. I'm like, why didn't I just smile there? I should have just smiled. <laughs> I still haven't learned. Three years three years later, yeah. like I don't know, 700 Instagram or I don't know, 700 Instagram posts later, and I'm still like not smiling like just I smiling. should be behind the camera I, yeah I'm just I'm a behind the camera guy what can I say Instagram just performance DC Facebook's the same Twitter um, all that stuff's great and uh, yeah that's the best way so at district performance DC you got it. that's it at, at district performance DC hit them up on Instagram um, Whitey thanks again man and uh, we'll definitely be talking to you soon awesome thanks very much for having me Thank you so much for listening to Move the District today. If you want to find out more about our guests or about Big League Performance and Rehab and how we can help you continue to be active and pain-free, head over to bigleagueperformanceandrehab.com to learn more. Thanks, and until next time, keep moving, DC.